0: Please make sure that you've signed in, and that will help out. This week was, well I'm glad to say, was our annual Building and Grounds Debt Retirement Meeting, but now, this year, we are debt-free. Amen. Amen. And though we have uh, always been involved I don't even want to say involved our whole life here at our church has always been focused on evangelizing the lost and reaching people all over the world we never stopped that but now we get to focus all of our resources on these issues and not our own home here because that's already taken care of so if you've been here for any length of time you know that I rarely speak about giving and money And I never beg or twist anybody's arm uh, concerning it. And really, today is about faith promise giving, but it's not about money. So I'm going to honor that again. We're not going to have to talk about such things. It's really about the heart issue. You see, in the final analysis, uh, New Testament giving is between you and the Lord. And that being said... You know, I, I'm a, a simple-minded man. I need to keep things very simple so that I know what to do on a, on a regular basis. And I kind of look at things this way, and maybe this is oversimplified, but money, you can see it, you can touch it, you can feel it, you can see the results of it, paying your bills, uh, you know, buying material things. And souls you can't see. And so I, I think of it this way in my mind. If I, if I can trust God with my soul then and I can't see that, I should be able to trust Him with my money <laughs> and my resources. Because the truth of the matter is if you can't trust God with your resources, how can you trust Him with your soul? And that's Maybe too simple, but that helps me. And I hope it helps you. And today, we're looking at what's called faith promise missions giving, but it's really about what our plans have always been, and that's complete focus on reaching the world. And I, frankly, I know very little about faith promise giving. I've heard about it since I've been saved. The church that I was saved in did not uh, follow this uh, campaign, this practice. Uh, But I've always heard about it, but I know very little about this, and so I've asked our dear brother and missionary, uh, Sam Strickland, as a matter of fact, let's give a warm welcome to Sam and Virginia Strickland who are with us. I forgot to introduce you, I've been with you for the last three days, so... (laughs) But it's a pleasure to have you here, and it's a unique time, because generally, Brother Sam, when he speaks, is talking about uh, his uh, work and all that, and I'm sure he's probably going to talk about that today as well, to some degree, but it's going to fit into this larger context because Sam understands these issues, and he's been gracious enough uh, to come and share these things with us. I know your church that uh, you pastored and churches you pastored did these things, and they're very successful. and so uh, We don't need to reinvent anything. We just need to bring in the right people that know. Amen? And so, uh, before I turn things over to Brother Sam, would you please bow your heads and let's pray. You are a wonderful and gracious and loving Heavenly Father. And we don't know anybody that's really like you. You tell us to be like You and like Your Son, but there is no one like You. And we're very thankful that You're not like us. <laughs> and so, Father, I pray Your hand would be upon us today that we might see things the way You see them. You might touch our heart for this world. <clears throat> Lord, I... am I'm grieved sometimes in my heart because of the connection that I have with this planet is sometimes it's wrong and my perspectives are wrong because I love this place sometimes for the wrong reasons. I sometimes don't think of all the lost people that are here and how serious the Scriptures are about what's unfolding before our very eyes. And so, Lord, I pray You'd remind us today of what Your heart is and that may we think like You. May we adopt Your ways and may we love the things that You love. <clears throat> and I pray You'd use Brother Sam in a mighty way. And you give him great uh, peace and freedom to speak to us openly. We can take it. And we need it. We need what you've got to say to us through our dear friend. So I pray you'd bless this time. I pray you'd bless our friend as he speaks. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Sam.
1: Well, it's always a great joy to be here. i am always uh, said if I could I'd be a part of this church I'm always excited to be here and I go to a lot of churches and preach in a lot of conferences in different places and this is the only place I say that so uh, this is not uh, just politically speaking here today but I do not live uh, close enough to be a part of this church and uh, but I'm thankful uh, for my friend Tom we met I believe is providential and we met for such a time as this and it's been a great uh, blessing. Uh, for this church and your encouragement and your support <coughs> and your help of us uh, through these last several years. I was a college student. I grew up a Methodist, I've told you before, on a farm in Oklahoma. I was a college student at the University of Tulsa. Um, and I, when I left my parents' home, I said I believed I was going to look for a different church. I didn't want to hurt them because they've been Methodist all their lives, but they certainly love the Lord. They were godly people, um, and I wanted to be always a blessing to them, but I appreciate what my parents said to me as a young man. They said, son, you don't owe your allegiance to a denomination. You owe your allegiance to God and his word. That really set me free, <clears throat> uh, but I have a background of circuit-riding preachers, my family originally came from the hills of Tennessee, and uh, some of the preachers were circuit-riding Methodist preachers, and when I was a a boy, my grandparents, I don't know why, uh, they asked when they died, and they died, one of them when I was nine, the other one when I was 15, they asked and requested that I receive one of their relatives' Bible that they carried in a saddlebag. So I've been blessed of God. And we who have received much are responsible for much. And we who are in America and we who are in this place today who know Christ, we have an opportunity and a privilege it is to serve the Lord. It's not a sacrifice when you're serving God because these things are eternal and they will last for eternity. And so we have the privilege of doing that. And uh, we have the opportunity during this time. So I started attending uh, Tulsa Baptist Temple. I had a friend who was in college <coughs> who invited me to go there. I attended a lot of different colleges. When I moved away from home, I carried the New Testament. And I wanted to find out what do I believe, not just what my mom and dad believe. And I did that, and I read it day after day after day. And I became convinced that I could know I was saved because I'd been taught you could lose your salvation, even though I never believed I lost mine. And uh, 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 secondly, I'd been sprinkled. <coughs> and I'd never been immersed. And so I went to this church probably six months. Uh, I think they thought I was a member. I went Sunday morning, Sunday night, <laughs> Wednesday night was there every service. I would not join because I want to make sure of what I believe. And after about six months, I gave it all up and I said the Bible teaches that you can know you're saved. And it's a great day when I found that in 1 John 5:13, and I can know uh, for beyond the shadow of a doubt of that. And I know there's no other plan of baptism except immersion if you understand the Bible. So I became a Baptist by conviction. And no one ever pressured me, no one ever talked to me. Uh, the church at that time ran about 1,200 at a very large college group. I was involved in that group. Uh, I began to lead the music in the college class and we went out on visitation and all these sorts of things. I had no plan to be a preacher, I was preparing to be something else. I had my life planned sometime. I was in seventh grade, I was very driven. And when I was in seventh grade, I knew exactly what I was going to be and do. And I had that all planned out. And God began to deal with me right before I was a senior in college. And I struggled. I didn't have a problem with preachers. I was in church all the time. I loved preachers. But I had a problem with that. And I struggled and struggled. And finally, I just gave it up one day. and said, Lord, I know this is what you want me to do. So I'm always things. There's two things I know in my life. Number one, I know beyond a shadow of doubt I'm saved. Number two, I know I'm called to ministry, and I cannot get out of that. And so, uh, God has worked in that way. But I went into this church, and there was a huge missionary giving church back then. Uh, back then, they were sending mission teams all over the world. Uh, they were uh, probably giving. This is in the '60s. Probably uh, three hundred thousand dollars a year to mission. It was unbelievable. Uh, and I'd never seen anything like this. I'd been in church. I'd heard of missionaries, but I'd never seen one. And I walked in there, and they had a conference Sunday to Sunday, services every day, morning, afternoon, every night. Uh, They had the banners up, the music being sung, and all of this went forth. And so they asked for a a commitment of a faith-promised missionary offering. Now, I wasn't a member yet when I went to this particular conference, and so I sat back there in the back, and I was a college student sitting back to back, and I paid my way through college. And I had to work all afternoon, and I didn't have much money, but I struggled along. And the Lord began to speak to my heart. And uh, when I was uh, finally at the end, they passed out a commitment card, like what you're going to do here. And I was not married. I was not going to be a preacher. I was not going to be in the ministry, <laughs> none of that. And the Lord spoke to my heart, and he said, In Tulsa, Oklahoma, you can touch the world. And, folks, from this place, you can touch the world. You have been touching it, but perhaps you can do more so in a greater way than you have been doing. And that's the thing that gripped my heart that day as I sat back there, and I filled out a card. I didn't know how I was going to do this, but by trusted God, by faith, I'd fill that card out. And I turned it in. And, you know, since that time I was a college student, I've been touching the world by the grace of God. I never knew I was going to be a pastor. I never knew I was going to be a missionary. I have been now. And even while I was a pastor, I went to many different countries and have been to all these countries. I never dreamed of any of that, but God knew what he was doing. And you know what I found out when I made that commitment that, that Baptists have no shame. They will spend Methodist money. <laughs> <laughs> they, they have no shame. They, 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 they just took, listen, I, was, they should not tell, I shouldn't have had to give that, right? I was still a Methodist. I wasn't in bad. But they didn't care. They took it and spent it anyway. <laughs> uh, so that's what we hope for you too, that you will open up your heart. Amen. And I want, this is going to be a preparation for the service this morning, introduction. And we'll talk first on how to make a missionary. Some of this may be elementary to you. I'm not sure, but I want to talk about this. Let's look in Acts chapter 13, verse 1. <clears throat> How do you make a missionary? In Acts 13, 1, we see this passage that tells us the actually the first missionary journey. We know prior to Acts 13 that the um, church had been established in Jerusalem, the Judea, and then they went next to over time to Samaria, uh, they went down there. Then in time, we read the early church, uh, Philip went out of the early church to Samaria and began to reach people. You find this in, in Acts 8, Acts 10, uh, we'll not take time to look at that, but they began to expand beyond their borders. And that was God's plan, not just to keep it in Jerusalem and Judea. They started in Jerusalem, if you'll read the book of Acts, especially 8 and 10, and we get to 13. They started, people started going beyond their confines of their local church and area, and they began to expand. That was always God's plan. Sometimes he had to drive them out almost by persecution to get them to get out of their comfort zone and to get to the next place where the gospel needed to be taken. So we see Philip going to Samaria Samaria. Philip, and then ultimately uh, Peter went down in Acts 10 to Cornelius. And he went down to other, first in Judea, Jerusalem, they started preaching the gospel. Then they went beyond that, uh, to, down to where Cornelius lived, and ultimately uh, they began to expand further and further. So how do you make a missionary? And I want you to notice the first thing we see here, you need a church. Now, there's people, I go to the Middle East, and I go to other countries, and I run into college students over there. And I appreciate the fact, some of them have a heart to go. I think some of them, they want to learn Arabic, perhaps, or I don't know why they're there necessarily. They just kind of, they don't, they're not out of any church necessarily, per se. I've talked to them. They are Christians, they say, but they really don't, they just meet people and talk to people. They have no connection to a church. I want tell you, biblical missions, you need a church. That's the starting point of missions. Notice in Acts 13 here in verse 1. Now, there were in the church, that was at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they, uh, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed into Seleucia. From there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. And they had also John to their ministry. I don't know it started with a church. That's why it's vital that you're a part of this church, you're involved in this church, you're trying to reach people with the gospel in this church, and also to extend beyond the confines of where you are. But it's all in- instituted and backed by church because we're trying to establish churches. I think about our group of Methodists. John Wesley, of course, very well known, uh, preached the gospel, many thousands of people saved, came to the United States and preached the gospel, went back to London preached the gospel. Uh, he started churches, whereas uh, Charles Whitfield was a great preacher, an outstanding preacher, preached here in America, preached over in England. But there's really you have his sermons. And most pastors, preachers know who he is and have read him. But there's nothing left when he when he died that was lasting. Whereas Wesley st- started churches all over England, all over Europe, all across America, and they still exist today. They need something. You need something for missions that, that begins at that starting point. And we must continually thrive as a church, this church, First Baptist Church Jackson. And it's not either or, it's both and. You do both. You're trying to have concern to reach people with the gospel here, but now you want to see beyond this place and to have a vision to reach them to well so you need to be contributing to this church to the health of this church, being an active member uh, being involved in ministry, uh, be a growing believer, uh, not stagnant not not staying the same, and studying and growing in god's word and praying and giving and sending and uh, being all that God would have you to be here. We need strong churches, and when churches begin to die out in America or wherever the country they're from, it makes a disconnect now to the support of missions, and that actually ripples to a detrimental effect on missions because now there's no church to support these missionaries who are trying to go. And it's become difficult in in my lifetime uh, of seeing uh, decline the number of churches that even want to or have the ability to to support missions to make the gospel go around the world. We're going to lose that if we don't have strong churches at home or actively serving the Lord. So that's the first thing. I want you to know the second thing we find in this passage. You need servants. Notice in that, we're right here all in Acts 13, verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work. Now, if you notice in the previous verse, I think there about seven, six or seven men named there that they were possibility, but the Holy Spirit picked out these two, Saul and Barnabas, and he said, I want them. The other ones continue to serve the Lord where they were, but he said, I want these men sent out on this church and so you need servants you need people who are willing to do the work sometimes i talk to young people they ask about how do you prepare yourself to serve the lord well i'm always reminded of eliezer where he said he went to get a bride for isaac and he said i being in the way the lord led me god sends people who are already in the way Sometimes people say, I get all enamored, and they want to go to mission field, and they see the slides. It all seems glamorous and glorious, and they find out it's not quite that way when they get there. But we see they, and they don't do anything at home necessarily. No, you have to be in the way. God put, chooses people who are already in the way, and their hearts are prepared, their hearts are, are ready to go out. So God works in the lives of those people, and the church needs to prepare people for service So if God did call them to go beyond this place and go somewhere else, they'd be able and willing to do that. Uh, So we see all of these uh, people, Barnabas, you had Simeon, Lucius, Menae, and Saul. uh, They were all of them in the way, uh, serving God. And it says they served, in verse 1, as prophets and teachers. They were already involved in ministry. let's notice, nextly, you need the Spirit's call. I believe in people being called. I know some people say volunteer and all that. And when I was a pastor, uh, when I first started pastoring in Stillwater, Oklahoma, where Oklahoma State University is located, I would hear about people who came to the campus there to try to recruit preachers. Uh, We don't recruit preachers. It's not a a profession. It's not a job. It's a calling. And I believe that with all my heart. And believe me, I wouldn't have done it today if I didn't know I wasn't called. And the fact when you know you're called, you can't quit. You know, I told my church, I said, listen, if you don't like what I say, tell God. He's the one who called me. And I can't, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I don't know what else to say. I mean, he told me to say it, so I have to say it. Yeah. You take it up with God and say, you know, uh, so you have to know you're called. Because when you know you're called, it'll overcome many of a discouraging, difficult time." Because you say, listen, God, I can't get out of this. And I'm not necessarily one out of it, but sometimes you get where you want out of it. When problems, my wife and I, we I pastored in Oklahoma first for about six years, and then we went to New England <clears throat> and started a church in Warwick, Rhode Island, it's right outside of Providence. Everything's outside of Providence, Rhode Island, a small state. But uh, And we went there, and uh, I mean, it was a struggle. We met in an old school building It was built back in 1898, seriously, uh, I wouldn't go to it today if I drove in there. I don't have I've got anybody to come. It's an absolute miracle fire trap, and all of that. And you know, we I went there and I had I had four sons when I went, and we had my fifth one born there, and they're all real little. And I said, well, Lord, I don't want them to go up in this stinking liberal place, and you know, and all the politics are liberal, yeah. and I don't like all the things going on here, and I whined and moaned. and groaned, I thought that I was gonna go under and I say, How am I gonna do this? And so I wind around for about two and a half years, I can almost target the date. And God didn't speak to me audibly <clears throat> but one day it's almost if God said, You know, what you need to do in my heart is what you need to do is get in front of a mirror and find out the problem's not the place or the people. The problem's you. And I never will forget it. I got on my knees. And I said, Lord, that's true. And I know I'm called here. You've sent me here. And by the grace of God, I'm going to serve you. When I did that, folks, things began to happen. We started reaching people. We bought land. We built buildings. We had a Christian school. We had a Bible institute. Uh, we supported uh, probably 100 missionaries we uh, I started traveling foreign countries you see I knew I was called it wasn't I was any better or any special person but god called me so that keeps you from quitting that keeps you from going so we need people a lot of uh, I've been asked to be involved recently in a, in a ministry of of training young couples who feel called to the mission field uh, to make sure they understand exactly what they're what 's going to be involved in that, because there's very great concern among mission boards and other places of of so many young couples not staying after spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to raise support for them, and they need to know and they need to know what they 're <laughs> getting into. But it's not a burden. You know, sometimes we did, we've had people go out of our churches, missionaries, and sometimes people start wanting to feel sorry for them and all this. And I, I say, listen, I said, don't feel sorry for them. They have an opportunity to serve God not having to feel sorry for you service. Go, oh, poor me, I'm in the ministry. Poor me, I'm having to go. No, thank God for it. Amen. That's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, thank God he put me in the ministry. Amen. And so today I thank God for that even though I didn't deserve it and wasn't worthy uh, what, for whatever reason, he called me to do so. But I said, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'm called. And we need people uh, who are called. He chooses whom shall go. Uh, and We must out of his way, according to Ephesians 4.30, uh, and don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. If he calls people, then we want to help them. We want to encourage them as they go forth. Uh, and so uh, we need the Spirit's call. Um, we first need uh, church. You need servants, people serving the Lord. And then you need the Spirit's call. Thirdly, that's where we come in unless God's calls you. You need senders. This is a partnership. You ha- can't have it without a church. You can't have it without senders. You can't have it without those people back at home who are the connecting link to pray for you, to encourage you, to... Uh, send financially more than just money it's prayers, it's concern uh, it's interest in that ministry you need senders notice where we get that notice in verse 3 we're in Acts 13 and when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them they sent them away so they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost they were sent they were sent out by the authority and the blessing of a local church And so you had senders. A church must recognize those who are sent, and then you support those who are sent, and then you pray for those who are sent. And so Barnabas and Saul were commissioned in verse 2 and 3, and they began to make their way uh, to where God had called him. Now, part two, I'm going to get in then, what is our mission in conjunction of those that how do you make that missionary? We've seen the recipe, we've seen the ingredients. How do you make a missionary? We see that now. What is our place now in conjunction with that missionary that God has called out of our church? Our mission, and I'm going to continue that during this session and then get into the aspect of giving toward them to make that uh, possible. Now, we've seen our mission. Uh, basically we've seen what God is trying to do but our mission in relationship to this worldwide mission is what we need to get a hold of and our mission is way beyond this place it's worldwide we need to have a worldwide vision God had a worldwide vision when he sent Christ to this world not just in Jerusalem and Judea and the apostles then he began to thrust them out, and they began to go step at a time till it ultimately came around the world. And so that is what we're to be doing to have that. And our mission requires that we move beyond the boundaries of our local church. And it's important certainly that the home church, the ministry, remains strong. It's vital for that. but it's also equally important that it goes beyond what you and I see every day. And as you serve the Lord here, then you must always be pushing the boundaries and the borders of your local church. And there are five steps that we are going to look at that we see in the first missionary journey, which I think is the example of all missions. And this first missionary enterprise, and this is what we should be vitally involved in as a church. And what we should be excited about as a part of this church, we've already seen Acts 13, 1 through 3, how Saul and Barnabas they were sent out. Verse 4, they were they departed, sent forth uh, to this special work. Now they did have the advantage that they there was a common language, Koine Greek, in that day, so they didn't have to learn languages at that time where they were going. That missionaries have to do today. But they also had other difficulties that they faced. They went into synagogues. Uh, they, because they were Jewish people, they had, to, had a little bit different situation that that way. But starting at synagogues and then branching out wherever uh, Christ needed to be proclaimed, they went outside the venue of their own uh, ethnic group being Jews and Jewish converts. They went beyond them and beyond Jerusalem and they began to spread. And this is what we want to look at now at this time. What is our mission? We see... Uh, number one, we must go to other people groups. Notice in Acts 13.4. In Acts 13.4, they departed unto Seleucia. From thence they sailed across the sea to Cyprus. And they began to go to other people groups. Notice verse 5. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God. Verse 6, and when they had gone through the Isle of Paphos. Uh, verse 13 now when Paul and his company, Lucian Paphos, they came to Perga, Pamphylia. Verse 14, and when they had departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia. You see, they they went to other people groups. So that's part of missions, leaving this place and going beyond it uh, to other places. So a missionary, by definition, by technical, concise definition, is someone who's sent outside the ministry of the local church to another people group to minister there. Now, it may not be outside your state. It may not be outside uh, this locale necessarily, but beyond your confines of your local ministry and church, you take it out of that. So we're not saying it's all foreign. It's outside the confines of this church and the ministry here. So uh, you push the borders. You start pushing the borders, and sometimes I said it's not outside the confines of the United States because, certainly, even here, there's people groups, there's language groups, uh, there are culture groups here, so we push those boundaries. In the United States, of course, especially in this day, most of it, we know people come from other countries. Uh, you met people in your church that came from other countries. You have people here that don't know Christ. Uh, we just moved recently, about eight and a half miles away. By the way, don't ever move. It's an absolute nightmare. Just uh, uh, now, we can't find anything. I'm telling you, we can't find. It's uh, I don't know how I even got here. You know this way, but um, uh, but we we had on our block. Uh, of course, I go to Middle Eastern countries. We had a Muslim, of all things, uh, family moving about two, three houses down from us that we tried to engage and talk to and be friends and so forth. So we're going uh, to other people, but there's people like that uh, wherever it is. So by uh, we're pushing out of this place beyond our borders to other people, uh, groups. <clears throat> and so by definition, True Missions is beyond our local scope, this church, uh, ministry and sometimes I know we say and we hear it said we're all missionaries and I I don't want to deny that I, I don't want to say that we're not but we're all because we're all to be bearers of the light we're all to be carriers of the gospel but in the truest sense of the word those who are called are recognized by the church and they're sent out to other places beyond our borders are missionaries for us and so Barnabas saw off they went on the first missionary journey, and the next step we find in verse 5 is continue to proclaim God's Word. They just didn't go there, but it says in verse 5 what they do. They preach the Word of God. That's what they did. They're to go preaching the Word of God. I'm going to get in just a second. There are some things called missions. It's really not missions. But it's a preaching and proclamation of the gospel. And that was their calling, that was their mission, that's what they were doing. Like I said, I run into people everywhere I go, and I'm thankful to have some sort of burden to go there, but they're really not necessarily proclaiming the Word of God, they're really not attaching them to a church or uh, discipling them and all of that. That's not what God intended, and we see it in the pattern here in the, in, the, in the Bible. And so everything we're talking about here today is not something the Baptist dreamed up or somebody else dreamed up, it's biblical. We're taking it out of the word of God and say this was the pattern and habit for all time of how to do this and to carry on missionary work. And so they continue to proclaim God's word. Now, I'm not against other ministries that perhaps do good things, yet often churches are approached. I was approached many times when I was a pastor by other groups who say they're doing missions, but it's really humanitarianism. And certainly, we should all be humanitarians. I'm not. Uh, belittling that. We need to feed the hungry. We need to clothe the poor. We need to send good water in places. But for us as Bible-believing Christians, it has to be tied to this point of a proclamation of the gospel. And if it will do that, fine. I have an organization, a small organization. He was a pastor in North Carolina for many years. I've known him for some time and it's, I'm not a part of the organization, but uh, he contacted me, and we're very good friends, and so when I st- started going to the Middle East, because his ministry is uh, providing humanitarian aid. Anytime there's a hurricane, like in Bahamas, they'll be there. If it's in uh, Haiti, they'll be there. They take medical teams, unbelievable number of doctors and nurses that go with them uh, all over the world, basically, and But uh, he runs this, and he became a 501c3, so he could be a nonprofit organization, so he can take funds from corporations. there's huge corporations in America that support him uh, because they know he's doing humanitarian aid, and they don't care if he preaches the gospel or not, but that's what it's always connected to. And he gets hospitals to donate beds, equipment, I've been in Sudan where they begged and plead. Uh, they have people all the time getting killed on motorcycles. Uh, most of them don't have, have a motorcycle, but they're getting killed there where it's dark out, the roads are treacherous. And I've been to the hospital and, and talked to the administrator, another lady there, and they uh, didn't have an x-ray machine. They said, it's just we try to treat the people best we can, but we don't have any means. And I've I've tried to connect them with this thing, but uh, it, it, it's it's we need to uh, be concerned about these things, but we need to make sure that the gospel's preached. And so this man I'm involved with several years ago started calling me since I go to Syria and uh, Syrian border and other places, and that's where basically all the refugees come across uh, into Lebanon. And so he asked me if I would uh, facilitate and uh, carry funds there because he said, I know you well, I know there'll be accountability. And so I promise him that every dime as given to me, it goes to where it's supposed to go. And I follow up on it, and he knows that. And I give a report back to his donors. And I've been doing that. Who knows? I don't have a figure of the tens of thousands of dollars. that I have, not me, but his donors and his people, I have made possible to, uh, to send funds there. And I can't always take it. Sometimes I wire it. Uh, But I go there personally, usually every year, and I'm also there. I have pictures taken of me handing out vouchers, and we go visit people in their homes. And one thing I appreciate about the church that this runs through, they said any funds that were given to them, they would uh, give half to Muslims. They want to show love and compassion for them. So when I preach there, most everybody in the building is a Muslim. Um, Several of them have gotten converted, uh, life transformed, some are not. Uh, some come because they do get aid, but many of them come who've already uh, received aid and are saved, and come in spite of whether they get aid or not. And so it's always accompanied to that uh, the aid that's given there. So if humanitarianism can handle that, then do it. But we must keep it always in focus. It's a preaching of the gospel, uh, because there's some organizations that all they do is humanitarian uh, work, but the gospel's not pro- proclaimed. The Peace Corps is not missions, and I'm sure they do good things. They're probably good Christian people perhaps involved in that. They help people better their lives. But we as Bible-believing people, we're about more than just seeing people better their lives, but seeing their eternal destiny being changed. Amen. And we do them a disservice if we don't do that part of it. That's what they need. And uh, so we want to partner with and send out missionaries who do a variety of things. Now, a wide variety of things may be going out, but behind all of that is a proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what they were doing. That's what we're supposed to do. We want to send out missionaries, and the people have uh, concern for those who are lost because if we clothed everybody who needed clothes, and we fed everybody who needed food, and we had clean water uh, where it was desperately needed, and we... Um, tended to everybody's um, medical, and the world's medical needs, and they still died without Christ, they'd be lost. So Jesus said, what should it profit a man if he gained the whole world, and lose his own soul? So part of Paul and Barnabas, in in verse 5, we see they proclaimed God's word, and as was their custom, in the early days they went to the synagogues first, because they were Jewish people, converts, they'd go there first, and then they would teach the scriptures, and normally they got kicked out, and thrown out to the edge of town. Uh, but that's where they went. Notice verse 6. They confronted false religions. It says in verse 6. And when they had gone through the Isle of Paphos. They found a certain sorcerer. A false prophet. A Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. Some people say we shouldn't be sending these missionaries. They've already got their religion. No. In New Testament. They confronted <laughs> false teaching. And we can do it with love and compassion. But that's what they did. They were confronting false religions. Because how are the people going to come to know Christ unless they understand the error of the way and that they're lost? You can't be saved if you don't know you're lost. And so they preached and proclaimed God's word. They confronted philosophies and other religious false teaching. And you don't, you know, folks, you don't find anywhere in the world people groups that are not religious or spiritual in some sense. They're not. Ever place on the face of the earth as some uh, form of religion. There's no people group that we've ever found the history of mankind that's 100% atheist. So what are we going to do? We're going to go anywhere. They've all got some religious belief. <laughs> it may be false and uh, f- fake, but they've all got something. We, we couldn't send anybody anywhere if you follow that philosophy. They don't. And so uh, that it's 100% atheist because atheists have to be educa- educated out of God. Uh, and I haven't got time to get into that, but Romans 1 talks about, verse 19, they They're from a standpoint of their conscience, verse 20, uh, from creation, uh, from verse 21, from history, uh, they know there's a God, so they're without excuse. So often the vacuum of that spiritual void in, in where there's false teaching has been counterfeited by Satan, and it comes in a variety and many different flavors. So we need to confront that, as we do in America, by preaching God's truth. I want you to notice first, uh, pardon me, number three. Uh, what, I do here, what you uh, Exhort them. It should be number three coming up there. No, no three coming up. Uh, okay, here we go. Exhort those who believe. Verse 22 in chapter 14. We're going to jump to chapter 14, verse 22. You know what they did, folks? And I know this church is big on this. They had discipleship. That's what they did next. They exhorted them. They followed up on them. They discipled them. That's the biblical plan for missions. In Acts 14, verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. Now, if you take chapter 13 and chapter 14 and you start looking, I'm not going to have time to do it, look at the towns they went to You'll see they got kicked out. They got thrown out. They got beat up. And when you get to chapter 14, you know what? They went right back around to every one of them. <laughs> We'd say, well, I can't go back there. I got beat up there. No, they went back. You know why? Because there were people there who trusted Christ as a Savior and are going to follow up on them to help them grow in the faith. Amen. They continued to exhort those who believed. They just didn't leave them on their own. They went back around. These towns are all named again. They went back around. So that's what Paul is doing. He's exhorting them to continue faith and positive encouragement that they would be living out their faith and living out the truth of their newfound faith in Christ. And so Paul doesn't say, well, come to Jesus. All is well. You'll be rich. You'll be healthy. Health, wealth, and prosperity. No, that's not what he was preaching. Uh You'll not have any problems, you know, if you believe, and everything be perfect. No, what does it say in Acts fourteen, last part, verse twenty-two? What did he teach them? That we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. (coughs) The Bible never promised health, wealth, and prosperity to anybody. It's a false gospel, and ruining people. And I go to the Middle East, and you'd be amazed. I've been in Iraq and all these various countries where the health, wealth, and American preachers are over there and giving them TV so they can watch them and send them money. And so when you're persecuted, I, I was shocked. Some of the places I've been, they've asked me if I know somebody, if I've ever heard of something. I couldn't know how in the world do you people ever hear of these people? Uh, but they... Preach that to people who are persecuted and under great duress and problems, and I think it provides some. Maybe I can get out of this mess by uh, manipulating God, which is what they teach. No, they exhorted them, they told them, listen, it's not always going to be easy. That's right. And through much tribulation, there may be problems. And it, it's doing people disservice to tell them, if you get saved, your problem's all over. And, uh, uh, in this life, but we're not living only for this life. So living our faith uh, here in America is not that severe, uh, but these early church people, they faced much persecution. Uh, they were uh, under difficulties as the apostles were and the preachers in church, but they continued to go their way uh, with them. And those that came, come to Christ must be exhorted and helped to grow in their faith. So missions involves teaching, training believers to do the work of the ministry. Now, number 4, organized churches. That's what they did in verse 23. 14:23. 23. And when they had ordained them elders, get this, in every church they were establishing churches. It was not a freelance ministry. Uh, no, they were establishing churches, and they installed pastors in those churches. It was connected to, as we said, the uh, right pattern and plan of starting with a church, and then having people who are already serving the Lord, uh, following the Spirit's call, and then we see this step here: they were uh, organizing churches. Now, the goal that's always to be sought in missions work to see churches established. Uh, Churches striving, and that should be the tip of the spear of any missionary work we're involved in, and even the support uh, work or uh, of church planning, all of it. That's the tip of the spear, reaching people with the gospel and establishing churches. And then that church continues, and they follow the same pattern It reverberates around the world. And so pointing those people who come to Christ to a local church... And Jesus said, "Upon this rock I'm building my church. He was building. You know what Jesus is doing now this time? He's building his church. that's what we're to be doing. And this is really the prime point of the spirit of what he is doing and what he wants us to do. And so we ought to be building a church here locally, seeing uh, it grow, prosper, and I' being mean spiritually investing our time, our money, our talents, uh, our heart into this church, but we, we as a church must also have that focus. That pushes the boundaries beyond our boundaries, beyond just this church, this area, if you will, and seeing other churches established and planted here and around the world. Uh, number five. Report what God has done. Notice what it says d- down here in verse 26. He said, and uh, or verse, let's start verse 25. And when they had preached the word of God, uh, perger they went down to. Uh, Italia, and then sailed to Antioch from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come and gathered the church together, not headquarters somewhere, denominational headquarters. No, they went to the church that sent them and their missionaries. They rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. This is what we do today. You have your missionaries. They come back and report to you. This is all the biblical plan. It's not something contrived and dreamed. Like I said, I was a Methodist. I never saw a missionary. Uh, The church, I think, did maybe support some. uh, But the headquarters was in Nashville, Tennessee, and they hired missionaries there and they hadn't necessarily had no accountability in any church and there's a denomination to do that. I'm not saying many of them preach the gospel. I'm not demeaning that. I just think the way we do it's the best way in the biblical way because you get to know these missionaries. You know, uh, you really don't know them unless in that type of organization, unless that be somebody your church set out. But here, you always know who they are. You hear from them, you get the pictures, you know, there's that connection. And I often say many times, regardless of the amount of support, it's a fact that they know you and they're going to pray for you. Uh, I had a church, for we'd had a church for some time. They were small, they'd had some struggles. Uh, They gave us $5 a month. And people might poo-poo that, but I was thankful for that. Uh, because I knew there were people there uh, who prayed for us and did what they could. Uh, that's the important thing, This conjunction and knowing who they are, and they report back, and so they reported back to the church. That's what we do now today, and we need to hear from our missionaries when they return, and oftentimes that's the uh, spark that ignites other people to go as well. And so uh, if we want to be a church that makes missionaries... And it's about missionary endeavor. We ought to take mission trips, which you do, try to get young people to go, which you do, to expose them this. And we need to support those of our uh, missions family by praying for them. Uh, let's keep missions as our focus. It's not a sideline of what we do. It's not an addition to what we do. It is not an appendage of what we do. It's a plan of God and missions is the heart of what we do for the glory of God and we need to remember that Henry Van Dyke said the missionary and enterprise is not the church's afterthought it is Christ's forethought it's always in his heart and mind it's always in his desire what he wants you to do and you know it was a church that I was saved in it was a church I was baptized in it was a church i was challenged for missions in. it was a church i was called to preach in it was a church where i met my wife and i saw her the first time singing in the choir uh i didn't know her and it was a church i've served in all these years and it's churches i preach in in iraq and jordan and syria and lebanon and egypt and 25 countries total it is churches and thank god for them no matter how small and i go to all you know different sizes should make a difference of size I thank God for every one of them Amen. because there's a place there that that town needs, that city needs, that place needs. we bless you.
0: Thank you, Brother Sam. Now, this was just a, a setup. I, that sounds wrong. <laughs> I didn't mean it that way. This was pre- in preparation to the message that Sam is going to preach in, in our following service. And I know many of you are going to go serve and you're going to miss the service. And it's absolutely crucial that you get a, a CD or you listen to it online. Uh, Keith, when will you have that posted tonight? It's crucial you listen to the message and prepare your heart for us to really keep our single focus on these things. Amen? I'm going to say something in conclusion, and it's it's very difficult. It's a very difficult thing to say. It's more difficult to hear. And so I want everybody very still. This is very important. If we as a church do not have a burden for these very issues that Brother Sam is showing us from the Scriptures, for the lost here in our local area, outside of our area in our state, outside of that area in our country, outside of our country across the seas, and across borders. If we don't have a heart and a burden for these things as a church and as individuals, We don't know God. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying that. I don't mean knowing God in the context of salvation. I'm saying you don't know Him. Because He came to seek and to save that which was lost. We make disciples and we have discipleship so that disciples so that followers of Christ are strengthened to go out and make more disciples. Not because it's a program. So what I want to ask you to do, if you could bring up the slide, Keith. And I'm going to repeat this at the end of our service for those who couldn't make it. I want you to be praying about turning in this... This commitment card next week, not this week, but next week. And I want you to be praying about these things. I provided you with a devotional guide that you'll begin working on tomorrow morning. And it's a six day devotional guide, it takes 10 or 15 minutes to do, but it'll help us focus our mind on funding this type of work because it's not free. And if you notice in that card it says, Not equal gifts, but equal what? Yeah, we can't all give the same thing. Some churches give five bucks. But that's just as much of a blessing as five thousand dollars, to be quite honest. God owns the cattle on every hill and the wealth in every mine, the wealth in every mine, it belongs to him. But you belong to him. He's your owner. It's time for us to be more serious about such matters. So I want you to pray about these things. It's not about money. That's secondary. It's about right here. Brother Sam said something this morning, that really choked me up. He said he looked into a mirror. He didn't hear the audible voice of God, but God still small voice spoke to him and said, you need to look in the mirror, buddy. We need to always be looking in the mirror. Making sure God has a hold of us. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, I want to thank you for preparing our hearts by reminding us of simple truths, very simple truths, about what we're supposed to do so I pray that you'd bless us in these endeavors, and I pray, Lord, we raise money for a fleshy building, for an earthy building, and I'm so thankful, and really, as the pastor, I'm proud of our church, for the funds we raise for this building, Lord, but if we can't raise that many funds or more for the whole purpose of this building, then I, Lord, i <clears throat> I might, I'd just be ashamed.
1: <clears throat>
0: Lord, we w- we want you to be pleased with us, and we want you to use us. And we want we want to reach this world because that's what you want. So I pray, Father, you'd open up our eyes and make this a very special week that we'd not walk out of here and just forget these things or take them lightly because you don't. So I pray you'd bless us in these things. You'd encourage us. And I've said some hard things at the conclusion, but they're just true. And they're a blessing because Jesus Christ loves us. So we want to thank you for Jesus Christ, your goodness to us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, why don't you take a break and then be back here in your place at 1015 so we can go ahead and get the service started this morning. Thank you very much.